Coming out of their bye week, the Seahawks have one goal. They want to end the season atop the NFC West. Do they have what it takes to get it done? Rob Rang and I will be breaking down reasons for optimism and reasons for maybe a bit of caution going into the final seven games on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our post by Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And a special welcome to our first-time listeners as well. We greatly appreciate you. The Seahawks will have a game coming up this weekend after being idle yesterday. They'll get an opportunity to get back to work with the Raiders coming to Lumen Field. We're not going to dive into that matchup quite yet, but we're going to be taking a look at Seattle's prospects of hanging on to first place in the NFC West. Some reasons why they might, reasons why they might not, plus our Monday mailbag as well. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com with the promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on the opening drive of our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks didn't play yesterday on their bye week, but I think you can still look at them as big winners with how yesterday's games unfolded in the AFC and the NFC. You know, Seattle didn't have a chance to win yesterday. They got to watch one of their bitter rivals lose their fourth consecutive game. And most importantly now, Rob, if the season ended today and we were getting ready for the NFL draft, the Seahawks would have a top five pick courtesy of the Denver Broncos who continue to find creative ways to lose (laughs) football games. Yeah, they certainly do. And as you said, Corbin, I mean, there's a lot of really good news coming out of uh, this past week of NFL action. Even though the Seahawks were idle, you had the Rams, the Super Bowl defending champion, Los Angeles Rams, continue to fall all over themselves. While we certainly are not wishing injuries to anybody, it obviously works out in Seattle's favor if Matthew Stafford is unable to play. And, you know, he was sidelined with yet another head injury, possibly could be another concussion here. So that is something that the Rams are going to have to watch very, very closely. They have now lost four games in a row. Matthew Stafford is not the only injury. Of course, Cooper Cup went down um, with the, the leg injury a week before that. The Broncos lose again, and they lost to the Las Vegas Raiders. So the Raiders are going to be coming into Lumen Field feeling pretty good about themselves, but they've only won one game all season long on the road. So this is not a team that has been playing very well um, on the road again. And so that sets up very nicely for the Seahawks. And as you mentioned, with Denver losing that game, um, Seattle, of course, owning the rights to Denver's first and second round selections, that sets up the number five overall selection. So, you know, Seattle is doing very well in terms of their current standings in the NFC West division and just the NFC playoff picture as a whole. But also for those of you who 
who are looking forward to the NFL draft, then Seahawks uh, fortunes are that much on the upswing as well. Yeah, I was looking at a number of different sites that do a, a lot of odds based on draft positioning. And right now, the Broncos are listed with a 90% chance to have a top 10 pick, and they are now above 60% to have a shot at a top five pick like they currently have at number five overall. You look at the rest of their schedule. They've still got to play the Kansas City Chiefs, I believe, twice the remainder of the season. I don't think they've played them once yet at this point. I'd have to look back at their full schedule. But, I mean, aside from Carolina next week, which that is not a gimme at this point with how the Broncos are playing, there's not a lot of games where they are going to be favored at this point, as poor as their offense has been, 32nd-ranked offense in the league. And, again, held to just 16 points yesterday. Of course, fans are going to be paying very close attention because of the Russell Wilson trade and the fact the Seahawks are going to get their first and second-round pick. Fans are just ecstatic that they're going to be getting these super-high draft picks, most likely, and they can add more premium talent to this Seahawks roster for 2023 and beyond. But I want to look at one other outcome that Seahawks fans aren't talking about much that I think they should be. And that is the New York Giants losing at home yesterday to the Detroit Lions. And really, it was not close. Detroit dominated that game from start to finish. And the Giants still have a better record than the Seahawks. They're seven and three. The Seahawks are six and four. But here's why this is significant, Rob. Let's say the Seahawks don't win the NFC West and the 49ers end up passing them. If they want to get a wild card, they already have lost out on the tiebreaker to the Atlanta Falcons from losing that game in week three. But they beat the New York Giants in week eight. If the Giants and Seahawks end up having the same record and it's a direct head-to-head tiebreaker, the Seahawks are going to be the team that gets the wild card spot not the New York Giants. So when they slip up in games like that against under 500 teams, like the Detroit Lions, the Seahawks are huge winners. So I think that honestly is a bigger deal in the short term than the Broncos losing that game. Obviously the top five pick is huge, but in terms of playoff standings, the Giants losing that game and losing their third game, that is one that could come back to haunt them by the end of the season. And it helps the Seahawks, especially with the commanders suddenly being red hot and right back in the wildcard race. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, that is a huge development with uh, with the New York Giants losing that football game. Um, you know, I, I I'm happy that you mentioned it. Um, I, I also think, want to go back to the Denver Broncos schedule for a moment. As you mentioned, um, you know, Denver does have to play Kansas City twice in the rest of their schedule. I, I'm just going to kind of list that schedule real quick, just for our our listeners to kind of imagine. I mean, you tell me where the victories are for the Denver Broncos the rest of the way, Corbin. As you said, uh, they have to go on the road to the Carolina Panthers. Next, Carolina Panthers team that is playing pretty solid football here as of late. Then they go on the road to Carolina, then on the road to Baltimore. Then they host the Chiefs. They host the Arizona Cardinals. Then they play at the Los Angeles Rams. They and Then they, uh, they go back to Kansas City. Uh, and then finally, they host the Los Angeles Chargers in the final game of the season so it feels very likely that this is a team in the denver broncos that might get one maybe two victories the rest of the way and that's not out of the realm of possibility so again this top 10 talk this top five talk is feeling a lot more secure and then one other game that i thought in the nfc west was a real eye-opener the way the dallas cowboys jumped all over the minnesota vikings when you lose 40 to 3 
then that is the kind of thing that could put a team into a tailspin. Maybe Kevin O'Connell, the head coach of Minnesota, is able to get his team back on the fast track. We'll see. But we talked about some teams that maybe were a little bit fraudulent with their records. If the Minnesota Vikings start to stumble, that whole NFC North starts to stumble a little bit. The Chicago Bears have been playing pretty good football with Justin Fields now struggling a little bit with a possible injury. You know, again, things set up very, very nicely for Seattle this past weekend, even though they were at home healing up. Well, that's the even better news. They weren't out there taking any hits. They were getting fresh on a bye week. But yeah, I think the Vikings loss from a big picture perspective, they're still two games ahead of the Seahawks in the win and loss column. But the Vikings have some very challenging games coming up in their final seven games. And so if Seattle can rattle off five or six wins in their final seven and Minnesota ends up losing three or four games, that's not out of the question. The Seahawks could jump up and get the number two seed, which right now, you know, that might not necessarily be a bad thing because if you end up with a three or four seed, you're going to be playing the Dallas Cowboys and we get to see what they look like playing at peak strength yesterday. And they might be the best team in the NFC when they are playing at their very best. So Yeah, yesterday really worked out for the Seahawks for the most part. Now, they could still be in second place after tonight if the 49ers beat the Cardinals. They're favored with the Cardinals playing Colt McCoy instead of Kyler Murray. The Seahawks could be in second place when we're on our show tomorrow if the 49ers lose and the Seahawks are still in first place. But otherwise, this was a very good week for them while being idle. And hopefully they can carry their momentum out of the bye week and go out and get a few wins here too. Keep hold of first place in the NFC West. Up next, we're going to get to our Monday mailbag. Tons of questions from you, the 12s. We'll answer as many as we can, as we do each and every Monday. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Total Wine & More. This holiday season, find what you love at Total Wine & More. With so many great bottles to choose from, it's easy to find a new favorite single barrel bourbon or the perfect gifts for everyone on your list with some help with a friendly guide and all the confidence knowing you found something special for the lowest price. Find what you love, love what you find, only at Total Wine and More. They've got curbside pickup and deliveries available in most areas. Totalwine.com.com. Visit it to learn more. They've got spirits in every state except Virginia and North Carolina. Make sure to drink responsibly and, of course, be 21. Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want wherever you want it from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and soon in Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from A to B. Test drive the new electric vehicle you've had your eye on. See how it fits in your everyday life. Many Turo hosts can even drive the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Dish the boring rental car and find your drive at Turo.com. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Hope all of our listeners had a fantastic bye weekend with the Seahawks not having to lose. No stress dealing with that. And of course, a lot of games we just mentioned falling their way. And as always, we greatly appreciate all of you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked on Sports Today podcast from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked on can provide. Locked on Sports Today, it's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, 
and wherever you get your podcast. All right, Rob, it's time for our weekly mailbag. We got plenty of questions from the 12s out there, and we had plenty of questions that were coming our way late last week as well. Going into the weekend, we've covered a lot of those topics in the first quarter, looking at some games and how they impacted the Seahawks, but still some really good questions for us to tackle here. And the first one maybe is the most important one. We're going to get this entire segment coming from Corey tweets, favorite Thanksgiving traditions in your families. I always love questions like this where, you know, in my case, I'm not going to be detouring from football, but we'll see where you go with this. Favorite Thanksgiving traditions in my family. I guess I just got to kind of, you know, just be thankful uh, for the fact that my my family is here together and I'm going to be able to see everybody. Uh, my mom's side, my, my mom's side, excuse me, my dad's side, my wife's family as well. We are actually going to be hosting this year. It's kind of a, a tradition, our family for the, you know, for the, whoever's hosting for that to kind of rotate a little bit. Uh, Aunt Ginger's pumpkin pie is definitely one of my absolute favorites. Uh, we're going to be getting two different turkeys. My wife and I are going to be baking a turkey, kind of the traditional way, but we're also going to have a smoked turkey. So, you know, I got to focus in on the family, but you can't get a cheeks like this by not enjoying the food as well. So really excited about all the food and festivities, having the family home together. Unfortunately, I'm not getting to partake in my favorite Thanksgiving tradition this year because uh, with us moving into a new house and stuff, we're not going to be heading to Indiana to hang out with my family this year. We get to do Christmas with them. But usually, and this still goes on, I can't run like I used to, but we still have our family flag football games in the backyard at my grandpa's house this year. Unfortunately, I had to tell him I'm on injured reserve. I won't be there for the festivities this year, but I'm looking forward to seeing some new traditions with my wife's family and who knows where that's going to go. I've, I've gotten to spend a couple Thanksgivings with them, but this is going to feel like the first real one uh, because COVID was kind of thrown in there. So uh, we're going to be setting up some new traditions, but that's still my favorite one. And unfortunately I'm going to miss out on it in 20. 22. Our next question here coming from Alex Hernandez tweets, who would you rather take this year's Marquise Goodwin or 2017 Paul Richardson? I thought this was a fantastic question because when healthy Paul Richardson did a lot of the things that Marquise Goodwin is doing for the Seahawks offense now as the third receiver, Richardson was doing that with Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett ahead of him. They just couldn't keep him healthy. And so I do think this is a fascinating question. I do as well. And I, um, I, you, to me, you just kind of hinted at that the reason why I'm going to go with uh, Marquise Goodwin is just because it always felt like Paul Richardson was just one kind of, you know, play away from going down with yet another injury. Um, now he's a finely tuned athlete, just like Marquise Goodwin, um, legitimate 4-3 speed kind of a guy. Um, but I don't know that he is quite as elite in terms of straight line speed, in terms of the leaping ability as the former Olympian Marquise Goodwin. And I just love the story. Um, you know, Goodwin, of course, um, you know, was originally a track athlete who then made his mark in the NFL um, and college football with kind of being that blazer um, as a big play threat. But he wasn't the second round pick that Paul Richardson was. Um, and so it, it always felt like Paul Richardson, you, you were kind of a little bit disappointed for being as high of a selection as he was, that he wasn't more successful for the Seahawks. So I, I love the fact that Marquise Goodwin kind of has had to make his mark in the NFL. He's kind of come back scratching and clawing. And, and, and I love that this, the, the tenacity 
that he has shown throughout his career. He's kind of proven that he is not just a track guy in cleats or a track guy in shoulder pads, I guess I should say. The way that we've seen so many of those elite athletes be in the past, he's a real football player. I think he's proven it with the, the variety of routes that he's run for the Seahawks and the toughness that he has shown in carving out that niche just the same way that Paul Richardson has. To me, they're very similar players, and so I really like the question that was posed for us. Yeah, I like the question too, but I really don't even think this is close for me. I think Goodwin is a pretty easy pick on this one, and I've got to agree with a number of things you pointed out. I think from the toughness standpoint, I don't even know that that was the issue for Paul Richardson. Some guys just can't stay healthy, and that's not always necessarily a toughness-related issue. He suffered some pretty bad injuries. You know, you tear an ACL, that's not about toughness. That's, oh, crap, you had a really bad knee injury, you know, Uh, but – you know, the durability, I never felt like he was as impactful away from being a receiver as what Marquise Goodwin has been in his career with like jet sweeps and stuff. That was not Paul Richardson's game either. And I think Goodwin is a superior route runner. And some of that might just be the fact that he's gotten a lot more reps on the field and gotten to practice. Paul Richardson missed such large chunks of the first three seasons he was with the Seahawks that it really stunted his development in all facets, including route running chemistry with Russell Wilson at the time, finally figured that out in 2017. He had a very solid season, but I'll take what Marquise Goodwin is doing right now. I just think a more complete player and quite frankly, the the durability aspect, that's a huge selling point for me. Not that Goodwin has been healthy all the time, but he's played in a lot more games and certainly been a guy that keeps coming back ready to go whenever adversity strikes on and off the field. And so it's a really good story. Cash with a K tweets, should the Seahawks put a waiver on Melvin Gordon? Even if we don't play him, the veteran presence will certainly help in the backfield considering Ken Walker III is our only workhorse. This is kind of a breaking news question because Melvin Gordon was announced as being waived by the Broncos less than two hours before we went live today, Rob. You know, this may kind of sound a little bit controversial here, but no, I, I don't think that the Seahawks should put in a waiver claim with Melvin Gordon. Now, let me be clear. I think that Melvin Gordon is a terrific running back. And I, I like the idea of Seattle having another back that has that experience of being a full-time kind of a guy. So I like the question. One of the reasons why Melvin Gordon got himself released by the Denver Broncos has been ball security. This has been an issue that has hounded him the last couple of years. And we know how Pete Carroll is. You've got to be able to protect the football if you're going to play for this team. Um, and and so, no, I, I think that Ken Walker III, to me, has proven um, that he can be that bell cow. And I just am really, really high on the play of both Travis Homer and DJ Dallas, uh, especially. And then Seattle's got some other guys on the practice squad that might be able to move up um, that I've also been intrigued by. We've talked about many of those players in the past. I just don't see running back as the biggest area of concern. Now, again, why well, I said that might be controversial, just because of the fact that Ken Walker is still a rookie. There were some issues in pass protection. You are always going to have a little bit of struggles with consistency from any kind of young player. I think adding a veteran who is likely to be very hungry, likely to want a little bit of payback, uh, you know, that, that would make some sense. But I just really like the way that Seattle's young backs are trending. And so, therefore, I don't think that they necessarily should go back to the recycle bin uh, the way that I think that they would be with Melvin Gordon. And I completely disagree with you. I would be putting the claim in, in, in on him right now. And here's why. I understand the ball security thing, and you know me, Rob. I'm I'm a running back coach. I was a running back myself, and that was always priority number one for me. You want to play, you better be able to hold on to the football. 
But I also know that Pete Carroll is a coach that believes in second, third, fourth chances for talented players. And there's no doubt that Melvin Gordon is a talented football player. He's a liked football player. Generally in the locker room, teammates love it. Uh, that was not an issue in Denver. But the fumbles have been a chronic problem for him the last couple of years. I could see Pete Carroll pulling out the big stick and saying, you know what, uh, I'm going to lean on my running back coach here, Chad Morton. We're going to get this corrected. You know, Chris Carson had some fumbling issues, but did they let go of him? No, they stuck with him. And before he got hurt, he was improving dramatically in that regard. Didn't put the ball on the ground as much. So I could see the Seahawks taking a flyer. And, and we just talked about this last week. They tried to claim Eno Benjamin, who's a good player. But I think Melvin Gordon's a better running back than what he is. And obviously more pedigree is a first-round selection. I like his size running between the tackles, his athleticism. I still think with the change of scenery that Melvin Gordon can be a really good change of pace back. And as good as Travis Homer and DJ Dallas are in those third-down situations – if Ken Walker III gets banged up at any point, do you trust either one of them to be a bell cow? I don't know that either one of them is that guy. Melvin Gordon could be that guy. And so if they were looking at Eno Benjamin already, I would not be surprised if John Schneider decides to put in a claim for a player like Gordon who's talented. He does have the fumble issue. But, hey, coaching matters in this league. And maybe Seattle looks at that as an experiment. Hey, we can get him turned around. He can come in and contribute for us. And how ironic would it be if he leaves Russell Wilson's team and comes to Seattle and then writes the ship and ends up being a contributor for an NFC West champion? I don't know. I just think the story setting itself up right there. Let's bring him to Seattle. Why not? Brandon Taxman tweets, any way to view Russell Wilson's exodus other than a cash grab? How come our beat reporters and bloggers didn't expose it as such? I, I don't know why we've been getting this question a lot from different people, Rob, but I just decided at this point, you know, maybe it's worth exploring because I don't know about you, but I just, I think it's an off-base question, to be honest. Not, not bashing the person asking the question, but, you know, certainly money is something everybody plays for in the NFL, but there were a lot of other reasons behind Russell Wilson wanting to push out that weren't just he want, wanted to get paid. You know, I think that he wanted to get paid. I, I think that um, also that he believed that uh, Seattle's run first offense was slowing him down in, in terms of not only his own statistics, I think that in his mind, in terms of wins, um, I, I think that he has assembled a crew of people around him who are essentially yes men or yes women who basically just kind of tell him that he is great and Russell Wilson, when he is playing well, I think that he is a great player. I, I've I felt for a long time that this is a future Hall of Fame player. But, you know, obviously things have not gone the way that he and the Denver Broncos hoped. Um, I I would kind of push back, as you said, Corbin, with the idea that um, Seattle beat writers or podcast hosts or whatever the case might be. I think that we've taken plenty of shots at Russell Wilson. I think there's some fans out there, though, who are still reacting to the Russell Wilson kind of struggles almost like a kind of a spurned lover, you know, like a, a romantic interest that it decided to go in some other direction. I, I think that the Seahawks fans should be kind of celebrating the fact that Geno Smith has been even bigger and better than they could, that any of us really could have anticipated. Um, and that Russell Wilson, if he continues to struggle, then obviously that's helping the Seahawks out this regard or, or out in, at this point. Um, but at the same time, just kind of let bygones be bygones. And, you know, I, I'm rooting for Russell Wilson to kind of right the ship. 
I would like it that much more if it starts next year rather than next week. I think that's the way that most fans should be approaching this. But isn't it ironic now that we're seeing a lot of the same fans that four months ago were saying the Broncos have better receivers, the Broncos have a better offensive line, it's a better football team. Those same people now are saying, Look at the cast around Russell Wilson. This is why he's struggling so much. You know, it's just, it's ironic. You know, you love to go back and look at the receipts, but that's just the way that covering football is. You know, people are always going to have their instant reaction. So I don't think it was just a cash grab. The Seahawks were paying Russell Wilson a ton of money, but they weren't going to give him the next big contract because quite frankly, the results had not been there as a team and you had a player that was disgruntled. So it was better for both teams to split up and that's where we're at now. Real quick, one last question coming from Justin. Which teams do you think have separated themselves the most? Who do you view as the emerging favorite to this point, especially the NFC? Addition to you real fast, Rob, who right now has jumped out to you looking as a potential favorite in a year where it seems like there's more parity than ever? Well, I think certainly the Dallas Cowboys, just because of the fact that, you know, again, not only it, it's easy to say it where they just thump Minnesota 40 to three, but I think that they, you got a lockdown corner, you've got a you know, dominant uh, running game, you've got a dominant pass rusher, do it all kind of defensive player in Micah Parsons. Um, I, I just see a lot of firepower with the Dallas Cowboys. So to me, that's the easy team. And then the only team that's really humbled the Seahawks so far is the San Francisco 49ers. Now, it remains to be seen. Maybe they, will struggle against Arizona in tonight's show. Obviously, we are recording it uh, you know, before the Monday night football game even kicks off, much less ends. But at the same time, I really think that San Francisco has an awful lot of talent. They were, of course, for an NFC championship game, just a, a hair away from playing for Super Bowl a year ago. And Christian McCaffrey is a legitimate player. Um, and, and so I do think those are the two teams. It feels like the, the late 80s, early 90s all over again here with the San Francisco 49ers, the Dallas Cowboys kind of going back-to-back, head-to-head. To me, those are the, the two cream-of-the-crop teams in the NFC. I was going to say the Vikings before yesterday, and obviously we saw what happened to them. But just they cut out of the game on CBS middle of the third quarter. That's how bad it was. They're like, look, we can't show you this national game of the week anymore because it is out of control. So they got exposed. I I still think that the Vikings could be a team that gets things together. And it might just have been one of those games where the other team, everything was working and nothing they did was working. And we've seen games like that in the past where good teams are able to bounce back a little bit. But – I'm with you on Dallas right now. Dallas is the team with a healthy Dak Prescott, a healthy Ezekiel Elliott to go with Tony Pollard, the pass rushers, the secondary they've got. They have the components, the pieces to be a real problem in the playoffs. The question with them to me boils down to coaching. Is the coaching going to be up to par in a playoff game? Mike McCarthy has struggled there since the Packers won the Super Bowl way back in 2010, 2011. Hasn't had a lot of playoff success ever since that point. Does that change with a very talented Cowboys team? We will see. But to me right now, they look like the best team in the NFC. The Eagles are showing some cracks right now, even though they've only lost one game. The Cowboys, to me, are the cream of the crop there. We're going to get to the Seahawks' chances of potentially crashing that party in January in the playoffs by winning the NFC West. Do they have what it takes to hold on and fend off the 49ers? We're going to look at some reasons why they will and some reasons why they won't coming up next here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It may sound crazy, but we're almost done with week 11 of the 2022 season. 
This Monday night, I've got Christian McCaffrey racking up 130 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns against the Cardinals. That might not seem like a bold leap given the Cardinals' struggles, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections on any sport you watch, whether it's the NBA, MLB, NHL, even disc golf. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy with safe and fast withdrawals and currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% into deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there who make Locked On Seahawks their first listen five days a week, as well as our new listeners. Welcome aboard, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed enough to come back for a second listen. Also, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. They've got the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Rob, the Seahawks got a game this upcoming weekend. We're done with the bye. The Raiders coming to town, riding a little bit of a Wave of momentum after beating the Broncos on Sunday. Seattle's going to have a hungry opponent coming to town. No question about it. But going into these final seven games, Pete Carroll outlined it last Monday before they went onto their bye. They've got everything in front of them. They control their destiny, their only goal right now. Win the NFC West. As of this moment, they are still in first place, ahead by half a game over the 49ers in the division Let's talk about reasons why Seattle will be able to hold on and reasons why there may be some pessimism about them holding on to the division lead. Let's start with the negatives here first, Rob. We'll end the episode on a positive note. But when you look at this Seahawks team, what do you think is one reason that jumps out to you to maybe be a little bit pessimistic about Seattle's chances of winning this division? I don't follow directions very well, Corbin, so I'm going to give you two. Um, two reasons why I think that Seattle may hit a bit of a stumbling block here is the lack of depth, especially at the wide receiver position. I think if either Tyler Locker or DK Metcalf goes down for any amount of time, I think this team could stumble quickly. Uh, I think the same thing, you could say, make the same argument in terms of lack of depth, the inside linebacker position. We've talked about that many, many times. The other thing that I have real concerns about is at that center position. Look, I think Austin Blythe's a good football player, but I think that when Seattle has gone against teams that have a dominant big man inside, Vita Vea um, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Dexter Lawrence, the New York Giants, then Seattle becomes very one-dimensional because they are not able to get much push at the line of scrimmage. And I think that you are going to see those bigger, more physical teams that have those dominant defensive lines. You're going to see more of them down the stretch, uh, at least when you get into the playoffs. And that, to me, is something that I think is a big concern, literally and figuratively, for the Seahawks. We kind of saw that in Munich, the last game before the bye. And and I'll say this. I didn't think that Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks necessarily took over that game. I didn't think that they were utterly dominant. But at the same time, there still was no push. And they weren't able to get the line of scrimmage established running the football. I thought there were times that Ken Walker III was a little bit indecisive and maybe trying to be too patient. So I don't know that it all fell on the offensive line. But 
that is a big issue to be concerned about. How do they hold up against teams that have those big, massive stalwarts in the middle? And a lot of the teams that you're going to see in January, they've got at least one of those guys in the trenches. For me, I'm looking at the Seahawks, very similar perspective on the defensive side of the football. I still look at this leaky run defense. And I don't think we're going to see the group from the first five weeks of the season where they were giving up 170 plus rushing yards per game. I think they have corrected things enough that they're not going to revert back to that. But we saw the struggles in that game against Tampa Bay, who, by the way, was having a historically bad season running the football going into that game. And they were able to run the ball from start to finish, 161 yards. Not the best yards per carry, but it was good enough. They were able to sustain drives. They were getting positive runs on first and second down. They were moving the chains on third down with the running game. That still concerns me because this team is having enough issues still with run fits, starting from the front all the way back to your safeties that are crashing up to make tackles. Those are still issues that they have been able to overcome to an extent by letting their defensive tackles be more aggressive. But the Buccaneers use that aggressiveness against them with the gap running scheme. And I think you're going to see more teams doing that. More teams are using gap run schemes now than they have in a long time anyway. The stats out there bear it out. And so that is something that really concerns me for this team, especially when you still got a game against San Francisco. The Jets can run the ball. They can't pass the ball to save their lives, but they can run the football even without Brees Hall. Uh, you're going to deal with some other teams down the stretch that can run the football effectively. Carolina, even without Christian McCaffrey, They've been running the football well. So Seattle's run defense is going to have to step up to the plate this weekend against Josh Jacobs, who had a monster game against a really good Broncos defense. That is a huge concern for me. And doubling off what you said, the injury concerns is something that certainly jumps out to me because that's part of the key to win big in the NFL. The Rams did it last year, and we're seeing the difference this year. They can't get healthy. Injuries left and right, they were the healthiest team in the NFL last year. Can you have good injury fortune? I guess the other thing that jumps out to me, you've got to hope that you don't have a steep downturn in interceptions and fumble recoveries. The Seahawks are fourth in the NFL in turnovers. Turnovers can be very unpredictable. They could go through a drought, and I don't know if this team can overcome things if they're not creating a decent number of turnovers. I don't know if they can win football games without doing that, and so that is something that concerns me. All right, Rob, let's get to the positives now, because who wants to hear about why the Seahawks aren't going to win the NFC West, even though I think we pointed out some very legitimate reasons why holding on to the top of this division could be difficult for the Seahawks. I think there's a lot of reasons why this team has a very good chance to hold on and win the NFC West crown. Let's get some positivity going here, shall we? Yeah, I think the easiest thing to be positive is, have you been paying attention for the first 11 weeks of the season? Because the Seahawks have been playing really good football in virtually every phase of the game. I mean, again, it's one of the reasons why I think that Pete Carroll should be the runaway winner for Coach of the Year. Because at virtually every single position, Seattle has exceeded expectations. I mean, Geno Smith has been spectacular. He deserves all of the credit that he has been receiving. But at the running back position, at wide receiver position, tight end, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, corner, safety, hell, even kicker. You know, I mean, really, Seattle has played at every position better than I think anybody realistically thought that they would to this point. They have been more physical than the most physical teams on their schedule for the most part. They have shown their speed from the start of the season. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny when you have these young teams. I, I know that 
you know, when, when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl years ago, one of the things that John Schneider took the most uh, pride in was it was the youngest team to ever hoist the Lombardi Trophy. And this team is just as young and they're just as hungry and they don't know what they don't know. All they know is to keep playing hard. And so if you have that mentality that, hey, why why can't we do it kind of mentality and you have, you know, the way that Pete Carroll motivates, I, I think that this team can do unbelievable things. They're proving it out. Yeah, I think that that is certainly a key point here. But I just want to jump off of one player here. And I know some of our listeners will be like, God, you guys talk about him nonstop. But I mean, quarterback is the most important position in professional sports. It is. And the Seahawks have the best quarterback in the NFC West right now. I don't even think that you can make an argument for any of the other players. I know Jimmy Garoppolo has been solid and he's thrown 11 touchdowns compared to just four picks, but Gino's got six more touchdown passes, almost 500 more yards passing, obviously a much better threat to run the football when he needs to, even though that's not like a huge part of his game. He can run the football effectively. His passer rating is way higher He's completing a much tougher degree of difficulty in throws. You see that in the completion percentage above expectation where Geno's way ahead of everyone else. So that is the first thing that jumps out to me. Quarterbacks win games in the NFL. Matthew Stafford could miss several weeks with a second concussion, and the Rams are now 3-7. and seven. Arizona, Kyler Murray has had his flashes, but he's been very inconsistent this year, and he's a big reason that the Cardinals are two games under 500, and now he's banged up himself. He's going to miss the second straight game tonight dealing with a hamstring injury. Geno Smith has been the star quarterback of this division. Who would have thought that back in August when pretty much every prognosticator was saying Seattle had the worst quarterback situation in the division and maybe the conference even? Geno Smith is the best quarterback in this division, and that gives them a chance. I think he's going to be the best quarterback on the field most of the games Seattle has remaining. Obviously, the Dayton Kansas City is going to be a little different, but you can look at every single game they have the rest of the way, especially if Matthew Stafford doesn't play in one of those games or somehow misses both against the Rams. He is the best quarterback on the field in the majority of these games, and that's a huge difference maker for the Seahawks. And the second big thing for me, looking at specifics, I mentioned my concerns about the run defense. What I'm not concerned about, I think the pass rush we saw come to life starting in week six, I think that is legitimate, especially with Daryl Taylor starting to find his rhythm as a situational rusher. Uchenna Nwosu showing no signs of slowing down. You've got Shelby Harris and Quentin Je- Jefferson with both over 20 quarterback pressures from the interior. Even Big Al Woods had three pressures the other day. So I just look at the personnel, the experience the Seahawks have in the interior, and I feel like they should be able to maintain that pass rush. I'm not saying they're going to get 20 sacks in a four-game stretch the entire rest of the season, but they are going to be effective. And I'm not going to let the Tom Brady game where he got rid of the football so quickly deter my opinion on that. I still think this pass rush is real. And the other thing that's going to help that pass rush be real, this secondary that has already been probably the biggest strength of this defense with Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant, and company – I think Quandre Digg is going to have a better second half, and I think Trey Brown is going to find a way to make an impact. Maybe he's just rotating in with Mike Jackson and Kobe Bryant at different spots. Whatever ends up happening, this young secondary has a chance to be even better in the second half. I think if you've got a pass rush and you've got a good secondary, you can win a lot of football games. And so that's why I'm confident that this football team can indeed hold on and win this division. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that the young secondary is just full of playmakers. 
Um, and so to me, that's really exciting. And then on the flip side, going back to offense, I think that the three-headed monster they have at the tight end position, yeah. I think, is really unique in today's NFL. You know, I, I, I sometimes I've made this comparison a little bit to the Seattle Mariners and their exciting run that they just, uh, you know, concluded. Of course, um, you know, Cal Raleigh at the center position, uh, or excuse me, the catcher position. Just uh, he was such a leader and had so many big plays and critical moments, and that made Seattle kind of unique. You just don't have catchers that, that have that type of pop. And, and that, to me, is one of the things that Seattle has, the Seahawks have, at the tight end position. It just is so difficult to try to game plan against Seattle's tight ends because they are, are they run blocking? Are they going out into, uh, into you know, becoming receivers? And then, again, you said it about Geno Smith. And it's just the – I don't care about all the numbers. I care about just the pinpoint accuracy that he has demonstrated game after game. That to me, you put all those things together. That's why Seattle, I still think, is probably the favorite at this point. Even though we'll see what happens to the San Francisco 49ers, but still, Seattle has played better longer this season than anybody else in the division. And that's why they should be the favorite to, to take the title when it's all said and done, at least for the division. We'll see what happens now coming out of this bye week at a big game coming up against the Raiders. Again, the Raiders are riding some momentum, something they haven't had much this season. They're going to look to get a winning streak going. Seattle's going to be hoping to squash that right away, playing in front of their fans, get a win out of the bye, and continue to position themselves. Like Pete Carroll said, destiny's in front of you. You control that destiny. Can they maintain that destiny and achieve this NFC West crown? We're going to be finding out here over the next seven weeks. A lot of exciting football coming up. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we are officially back into game week mode. We got Thanksgiving coming up as well. We're going to take a look at what's new with the Las Vegas Raiders, some of the injuries they've been dealing with, and some of the surprise standouts coming out of their game Sunday against the Denver Broncos, and much more. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.